Well, hello, everybody. It's so good to be with you this afternoon. It's a real honor for me. It's a long holiday weekend. You guys have committed to coming to church today, so that's so awesome. And it's a privilege for me to get to close out this Seeing Jesus series that we're in. The whole goal of this series has been to help us to get to know Jesus better. You know, too many people have uh, the wrong view of Jesus. And if you have the wrong view of Jesus, then your relationship with Jesus Christ is going to be skewed. And so we've been trying to keep it simple in this series. And we have a theme verse. And so um, I'd like us to take a look at that and even read it together. So let's read this uh, verse together out of 1 Corinthians 2, 1 through 2. You'll remember, friends, that when I first came to you, I didn't try to impress you with polished speeches and the latest philosophy. I deliberately kept it plain and simple. First Jesus and who He is, then Jesus and what He did, Jesus crucified. Keeping it simple. Jesus and who He is, Jesus and what He did, and in fact, today we're going to look at Jesus and what He's going to do. So we're, today, uh, our topic is seeing Jesus come again. And I had two events that happened to my family uh, this past week that really got me thinking about this topic, about seeing Jesus come again. The first one was uh, my wife's aunt and uncle uh, came in town from Arizona. My wife is very close to her aunt. Um, actually, we're, I'm, I'm close to them too. They used to live here in town. Uh, we'd go deer hunting on their property. And uh, so they retired and they moved to Arizona. And we haven't got to see them for a very long time. And so they came back this week for a graduation. And so we had them over for dinner. And, uh, you know, we, we were excited, so we really got ready for their arrival. We planned a great meal, prepared the dinner table, cleaned the house for them, and uh, just anxiously waited for them to come. And as they walked through the front door, it was such a good feeling to get to see them and to hug them and to see their smiling faces and just to catch up and reminisce with one another. We had a really good time uh, with them. The second thing that happened is on Sunday... Uh, well, let me back up. So I have a son who is in the Air Force, and he's stationed in the UK, and he's been there almost a year. So it's been a year since my wife has gotten to hug him, see him, and uh, I got to see him back in December with Pastor Kelly when we went to India. We had a layover there, and so I got to see him. But on Sunday, he showed up at our doorstep. Totally unexpected. Huge surprise. We were not prepared, <laughs> and, uh, but we're making adjustments. He's going to be in, in town for three weeks, and so we're making plans to, to do things with him. All he wants to do is eat, you know, all his favorite <laughs> restaurants, but it just really got me thinking about this idea of Jesus coming again, and how many of you have had that feeling? You know, you're waiting anxiously for someone to return home. Maybe you have a spouse on a business trip. Or maybe you have a son or daughter who's in college. You're still waiting for them to return. Or maybe they recently just returned and you were just so excited. Hugged them, loved on them, got to touch them, see them face to face, get caught up. Maybe you have someone like us that's in the military and you can't wait for them to come home. But, you know, it's just all that you can think about. It just consumes your mind like it did my wife. It was just consuming her mind. When's Jake get to come home? And, and, but you start seeing some signs that that might happen. 
And so you start marking the calendar and you're waiting patiently, anxiously. Maybe something unexpected is going to come. It's going to surprise you, catch you off guard. And it just really got me thinking, how prepared am I to see Jesus come again? The Bible says he's coming again. Is it expected? Is it unexpected? Is he going to surprise me? What will I be in the middle of doing when Jesus comes again? I mean, just got my wheels turning. You know, it's one of the most talked about subjects in the Bible. A lot of people have mixed emotions about this topic and everything that surrounds it. Uh, you know, some of you, you really like this topic. I mean, you can talk about it all day long. And then there are some of you that would rather not talk about it. You know, it, it scares you to death. It's a negative thing. You don't really care for it too much. You know, I can remember growing up as a, as a young boy, uh, there, there were these, this movie, and it was called A Thief in the Night. Maybe some of you remember it. It scared me to death. Let's watch this. Reports keep coming in from all over the globe, confirming it as true. To say that the world is in a state of shock this morning would be to understate the situation. The event seems to have taken place at the same time all over the world, just about 25 minutes ago. Suddenly and without warning, literally thousands, perhaps millions of people just disappeared. A few eyewitness accounts of these disappearances have not been clear, but one thing is certainly sure. Millions who were living on this earth last night are not here this morning. Speculation is running high that some alien force from outside our system has declared war yeah. on the planet, and some feel it to be a spectacular judgment of God. The United Nations is a special emergency session. People disappearing, clothes laying on the floor, razor in the sink, people getting their head cut off if they don't take the mark of the beast, Christians being arrested. That scared me. I can remember my mom, we didn't go to church, and uh, she said, hey boys, load up, we're going to go get baptized. <laughs> you know, um, I honestly, um, I honestly, even as I, I grew up even more, didn't want to see Jesus come back. I, I didn't want that. I had this, this misconception that in heaven, there was going to be like, how many, you, you know, you've been to the drive-in and there's that big, huge screen. That's what I pictured. In heaven, there was going to be this big, huge screen. And everybody's life was going to be played uh, before everybody else in heaven on that screen. So my life, everything, private, public, was going to be played on that screen for everybody to see. And Jesus would be standing there with the book of life, with my name there, a good column and a bad column. And as my life is being played out, he's making tally marks in each of those columns. And I knew which column was going to get the most marks, so I didn't want any part of that. And I, and I believe that a lot of Christians, if you were to ask them today, are you ready to see Jesus come back? You might hear stuff like this. You know, I, I'm not ready. I want to experience the married life first. I want to see my kids grow up. I want to be a grandparent. 
I want to make more money. I want to build my dream home. I want to see the country. I want to travel abroad. Or maybe even some of you are saying, you know, I've got to get my life straightened out a little bit before Jesus comes back. And there's nothing wrong with those thoughts, but my hope is that you'll be excited about seeing Jesus come again. Just as excited as waiting for that loved one to come home. To see them face to face. To wrap your arms around them and hug them. And to get caught up and to reminisce. Let me set this up for you. About 2,000 years ago, Jesus came to this earth in a literal, physical body. And he lived for around 30 years. And for the last three years of his life, he spent doing his ministry. And so he preached the, the message of salvation of the gospel, and he uh, talked about God's love and God's truth, and then he went to the cross. And on that cross, he died, he paid for the world's sins, all of our sins, past and future. Then it says he went to the grave, and he stayed in that grave for three days. After three days, he rose from the grave, he resurrected. And he walked around on this earth, popping up all over the place, the Bible tells us, for about 40 days. The Bible also tells us there are about 400 plus people that witnessed Jesus' resurrection over that 40 days. And then after that 40 days, the Bible tells us that Jesus ascends back to heaven. We call that the great ascension. And that's where we're going to pick up our text. It's in Acts It's in uh, chapter 1, starting with verse 9. It says, after he said this. So uh, after Jesus said this, what did Jesus just say right before he uh, ascended to heaven? Well, he gave the disciples and us as a church his mission and vision of what we're supposed to do once he ascends. And what he told them, he said, I want you to wait here. He told the disciples, wait here in Jerusalem for the Holy Spirit. Once the Holy Spirit comes then you are going to be my witnesses all over the globe. And you are to make disciples, you are to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and you are to teach them my commands. And after he said this, he ascends. That's where we're going to pick it up. He was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken, taken from, from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. So this text tells us that when Jesus comes again, he is going to come in a literal body in the clouds. And we as believers, we're going to be looking intently into the sky when this happens. A Pew Research poll in 2014 found that 41% of Americans believe that Jesus will return by 2050. So here are three things that will surround the coming of Jesus Christ. The first thing is he will come unexpectedly. You know, everybody wants to know when will Jesus come again? Even the disciples ask this same question. Uh, let's look at Matthew 24.3. We're going to spend a little time here in Matthew 20, uh, chapter 24, and I encourage you to go home and read uh, Matthew 24. It's a very short read, and it'll kind of talk about everything that we're talking about today. 
But we're going to pick up at verse 3. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And so uh, what we find is in verse 36 of Matthew 24, Jesus answers this question. And he says, however, no one knows the day or hour when these things will happen. Not even the angels in heaven or the Son himself only the Father knows. So Jesus says, the angels don't know, I don't know, only the Father knows. And then Jesus says, look, I can't tell you when I'm coming back, but I can give you some signs. And so uh, between verses 3 and 36 in Matthew 24, Jesus gives us some signs. And Jesus said, just like a woman has birth pains in labor, there will be signs that I'm coming Again, so let's look at some of these signs. He says there will be wars and rumors of wars. There will be earthquakes and there will be disease and there will be false prophets and false messiahs and there will be increased wickedness. To which some of you would say, Tom, we see that all the time. Every generation has seen those signs. To which I would say, okay, so when you see those signs, and you hear of those signs, is your first thought, Jesus is coming again. Is that your first thought? Do you even give it a thought? Jesus is coming again. That's what Jesus is telling us. Keep watch. And when you see these signs, be reminded, I'm coming again. And Jesus said these signs are like birth pains. Now, I have never experienced birth pains personally, okay? But I am married, and I do have three kids, so I've seen it firsthand. And birth pains or contractions can start as, out as very mild, uh, not lasting very long, and there's a gap in between these birth pains, these contractions. But as each birth pain, each contraction happens, they get uh, more frequent, they get more intense, and they get more painful. So painful that your wife never wants to see your face again, okay? But there is one sign uh, that he gives. It's an additional sign that no other generation has seen yet. And Jesus says, and this gospel will be preached to all nations, and then the end will come. Now, I want you to know that when he's talking about nations here, he is not talking about nations with boundaries, He is talking about people groups. So the word for nations in the Bible is ethnos, which means people groups. So for instance, there are 195 countries in the world. There are over 9,000 people groups. One country could have more than one people group. The United States has over 400 people groups. And I believe that we could see uh, this generation reach all people groups because we are a generation of technology. I mean, if you have a phone, you have access to a Bible. If you have a smartphone, you probably have access to a Bible school. You have access to a translator. There are apps now that will translate one language to another. You can speak into it, and it'll translate another language. So it's very possible for us to see that. With the, with the uh, social media and the internet, we can get into unrestricted areas that you couldn't travel to. And so 
when you see these signs and when you hear of these signs, do they make you see of Jesus coming? I mean, Pastor Kelly talks about all the work that we're doing in India. We're reaching unreached people groups. That is happening right now. So let's be reminded that Jesus is coming again. And here is the second thing about Jesus coming again. He will come to get his church. He's coming to get his church. You know, uh, there's, this, there's this view that the reason Jesus is coming back is because he's mad and he wants to destroy the whole earth and everybody in it. And that is not true. Jesus is coming back to get his church. Let's look at 1 Thessalonians 4. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. So here's the deal. Everyone that has died, that put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, they are going to rise up out of the grave first and go meet Jesus. And then they together are going to call us that are still alive, us that are believers, with them into the clouds. Now that's a comforting thought, especially this weekend, Memorial Weekend. My dad passed away of cancer. He's a believer. Jesus is going to call him out of the grave. He's going to go meet Jesus in the clouds, and he's going to come get me and my family. Hallelujah. I don't think about my dad's grave. I think about his return, getting to see him again face to face. That's a comforting thought. So Jesus is going to take his church, and he's going to establish a new heaven and a new earth. It ain't going to be this earth. Far different. He's going to establish it to the pre-fall condition. So go read Genesis if you want to know what heaven's going to be like. No more sin, no more pain, no more disappointment. Next, he will come to judge the earth. Now, nobody gets too fired up about this, right? I mean, it, you're not perfect. Don't you judge me. We live in a, in a no-judge generation. You know, when you point your finger, you're, you, remember, you've you got three point, fingers pointing back at you. Judge not lest you be judged. But here's what we can put, um, put our trust in. We can put our trust in that Jesus is the perfect judge. Okay? He knows everything. He sees everything. He has all the facts. He is the truth. I want us to look at this verse, 2 Thessalonians uh, chapter 1, starting with verse 6. It's on your outline. It says, starts out saying, God is just. Underline that. Man, when you think something's not fair and you're unsure of something and wondering why isn't this happening, I want you to remember that God is just. And it says He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you. You know, how many of us, when we see something bad happen or something horrific happen, we think, where was God in that? Where's the justice? Let's be honest, we've all had that thought, but it's a natural thought. Why? Because the Bible says we were created in the image of God. And God is a just God. So naturally, we're going to think, oh, we want justice. We demand justice. But listen, if somebody has been mean to you, somebody has abused you, someone has taken advantage of you, stolen from you, 
mistreated you. Don't, pay, don't repay evil for evil. Keep your heart pure. Remember that God is just and he will settle the account. Then the verse goes on to say, and give relief to you who are troubled and to us as well. So when am I going to get this relief? I'm troubled. When is it coming? Well, let's look at this. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. Look, Jesus said we're going to have trouble on this earth. But he said, hold on, because relief is coming. When I come again, you will have relief. Hold on. Let's look at these next verses. He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the majesty of His power on the day He comes. Uh Uh-oh. Justice doesn't sound too good now, does it? Sounds kind of harsh. But it's not harsh. Listen, the reason Jesus hasn't returned is because His desire is that no one will perish. You know, uh, our loving forgiving, compassionate, merciful, long-suffering God is doing everything that He can possibly do to get as many people into heaven as He can so that they don't face the, the, the coming judgment. He made a provision. He made a way out, and that's Jesus Christ. You know, the Bible says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every single person in here has fallen short of the glory of God. And when you do that, that's a sin, you're out. But here's here's the deal. The only difference between those going to heaven and going to hell is the ones that accepted what Jesus did on the cross, accepted that he paid for their sins, they're going to heaven. The ones that are going to hell insisted on paying for their sins themselves. That's the difference. And that's not necessary. God sent Jesus Christ to pay for our sins. There is justice and it's coming, even for Christians. Do you know that? Christians will stand before the, before the Lord in a second type of judgment. The first judgment of, of unbelievers is called the, the um, great white throne judgment. Uh, and, and, and the judgment the Christians go through, it doesn't determine whether you go to heaven or hell or not. Okay, we, we don't go to heaven based on our works. We go to heaven as a believer because of the work Jesus did on the cross. Praise God for that, right? But He is going to reward us based on how we lived after our salvation, what we did with the new life that He gave us. There's going to be a reward judgment. It's called the judgment seat of Christ or the Bema judgment. You know, the best, the best image that I can give you to describe this is the Olympics. You've probably all seen the Olympics. And at the end of each event, they pass out medals to those uh, who placed. Uh, and that's what we're talking about here. These, athlete, these athletes in the Olympics are judged on their performance. It's not a judgment on whether they make the team or not. That's already been determined. They're, they're competing. They're competing on the Olympic team. And same way for Christians. If you've placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, you are on team Jesus. Okay? But here's the difference. The difference is some of us Christians will be like Michael Phelps. All right, we're going to have all this gold bling hanging off of our necks. And there's some of us that are going to have, you know, maybe some silver medals, some bronze medals, 
And then there's some of us that are believers that are going to get in by the seat of our pants with just our salvation. And there's a great verse that kind of lays this concept out. It's found in 1 Corinthians 3, starting with verse 10. The Apostle Paul uh, is talking about this. And he says, By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder. So he's building. He's doing works. He's a believer. He's doing works. And, and someone else is building on it. So, you know, us today, we're building on the work that Paul uh, built on. And he said, But each one of us should build with care. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. So that's the foundation that we're building on. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is. Because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire. And the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. So sometimes we think we're doing good things, but it's going to get burned up. We won't have anything to show for it. There are some things that we're building, and it'll survive. Gold, silver, costly stones. We'll all be judged. But here's what I want you to understand today. You can make a comeback today. You can make a comeback. If you've never placed your faith and trust as Jesus, in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you can do that today and start your comeback. We all love a comeback story. If you are a believer and you have been building with wood, straw, and hay, you can make your comeback. Just get plugged into what we're doing around here. Look, Jesus is coming. And he could come at any time, but I haven't heard a loud command. I haven't heard an archangel. I haven't heard the trumpet blast of God yet. So there's still time. I want you to have a comeback story. Comeback stories are awesome. We love comeback stories here at Rockbrook. Let's watch this. Who swam on the prelim relay and earned his spot in this final, but France has taken the lead up there in lane five over the United States. Elaine Bernard awaits as the anchor guy, and Jason Lezak is going to have to make up some ground on Elaine Bernard, who stands six feet five and can absolutely fly. I just don't think they can do it, Dan. I mean, Jason Lezak has been there how many times in his career has he anchored this free relay and medley relay, but... I just don't think he can do it. He's trying to ride that wave as much as possible. Bernard is pulling away from him. Lisa, a three-time Olympian. World record is absolutely going to be shattered here. The United States trying to hang on to second. They should get the silver medal. Australia is in bronze territory right now, but Lezak is closing a little bit on Bernard. Can the veteran chase him down and pull off a shocker here? Well, there's no doubt that he's tightening up. Bernard is losing some ground. Here comes Lezak. Yeah. Isn't that awesome? We remember that stuff. Make a comeback. We want to celebrate your comeback with you here at Rockbrook Church. The Lord is patient. It's not too late. All this stuff that we're doing, the weekend service, the growth track, the dream teams, the small groups, it's all about reaching out to people, and it's all about people making a difference with their life so you can make a comeback, so you can get rewards. But since He is coming again, what are we to do? 
Well, let's look at what the Apostle Paul said. He said, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing in his kingdom, I give you this charge. So here's the charge. Here are three things. Number one, let's do everything we can possibly do to reach people. Let's reach lost people. If you are a Christian, this is your number one assignment. This is so very important. We need to do everything that we can possibly do to reach lost people. We want to get as many people into heaven as we possibly can. We can't get complacent about this. We have to remind ourselves what's at stake. Let's look at Jude. Be merciful to those who doubt. Snatch others from the fire and save them. You know, I am so glad that we do baptisms every month around here. It just reminds me how important this church is to our community. The dream team is so vitally important. It takes a dream team to get as many people in here as we can to hear the teaching and preaching of the Bible. Our pastors are committed to to, um, preaching the gospel on the weekends. Our small groups are so vital into serving others and to reaching out to uh, our friends, our family, our coworkers. The stuff we do is so important. So let's be merciful and, and snatch people from the fire. Number two, we've got to stay focused on eternity. The Apostle Paul says, so we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. You know, the disciples understood this. They literally gave their lives for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we should do the same. When we see Jesus come, we shouldn't be scared. We should celebrate. It's a homecoming. We get to see Jesus face to face and live with him forever. The Bible says this is our hope. Let's look at this verse, Titus 2, 13. While we wait for the blessed hope. What is the blessed hope? The appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. This ain't the kind of hope of, hey, it might happen, it might not happen. No, it's going to happen. It's just we don't know when. It's for sure. It's the blessed hope. I want you to be full of hope. I want those of you who are struggling emotionally, financially, mentally, to have the blessed hope the ultimate hope, the appearing of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He's going to come back. And when he does, he's coming to get his church. He's coming to get his bride, his people, and he's going to reign as our king. There won't be any more of this earth. No more of what this life dishes out to us. No more politics. Amen. Right. No more evil. No more pain. No more disappointment. He is going to wipe our tears from our eyes. So church, hold on. Hold on to the blessed hope. We're going to see Jesus come again. And so lastly, I want you to be ready. It says, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. There it is, unexpected. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? Great question. Here's the answer. You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. Church, we can speed his coming. If we reach people and we focus on eternity and we're ready, we can speed this thing up. 
But right now, it's time for an important question. It's a question that I was wrestling with, and I want you to, to answer. Are you ready to see Jesus come again? And maybe some of you are saying, you know, I don't know. Or I don't think so. Or, or you know, what does it take to get ready? Well, here's what it takes. It's very simple. It just takes a commitment. It takes a commitment. It takes a person who wants to receive what Jesus Christ did on the cross and you put your faith in Him, and your trust on Him. In other words, you give Him your life. The best word that I can use to describe this, it, it's, it's the word that made, me, made it click in my mind, is surrender. You have to surrender your life. Give it over to Him. So, I want to give you a chance to make a commitment today. It's your decision, but if that's your decision, I'm going I'm to walk you through a prayer of commitment. So let's all of us bow our heads. I want every eye closed. We're going to pray a commitment of prayer, of prayer together. And us as a church, we're going to pray along with you. We're going to pray quietly in our own heart. You're going to stay right there in your seat. You're not going to stand up. You're not going to come forward. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. This is a personal decision that you're making today. So uh, just repeat this after me quietly. Jesus, thank you for paying for my sins that I should have paid for. I receive your pardon once and for all. Now I want, and I want to make you not only my Savior, but the Lord of my life. I surrender my life to you today. Come live inside of me. Give me the power to change so I can live the life you want me to live. I will serve you, love you, and look forward to your return the best I know how. God, our hearts right now uh, hurt for the person who's been crying this week and for the people that are in pain right now. Lord, we pray that you would give them a vision of the blessed hope. And maybe you're a Christian and you're here today and you say, if Jesus came today, I wouldn't recognize him. I've fixed my eyes on, on what is seen. I just want to encourage you. Just turn away from that and fix your eyes on what is unseen. Just say, Jesus, I'm sorry. I, I, I'm making my comeback today. I'm going to get back in the game. Lord, God, we just thank you for the people that made a commitment today. People are making their comeback today. Lives have been changed. Lord, we praise you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.